Evan Silver, welcome to the podcast. We're super excited to have you today. Yes, I'm really, I use this word a lot, excited, but I am, I'm ready to just jump in to this conversation because I think it's going to be, I think I'm going to learn a lot from it. I know you guys are going to be asking questions, but I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah. It's it's okay to have different levels of excited. You can always be excited. There's just different levels. You know, yes. That's all right. I'm <laughs> really excited. How about that? <laughs> exactly. I love that. So let's just dive right into it. What's your Enneagram type and uh, tell us about your experience with it so far. Yes. Yeah, so I, I know the surface of Enneagram because you guys are the wizards at Enneagrams. I know like the surface level. And so I am a seven. And people told me I was a seven before I even took the test. So <laughs> uh, long story short, I used to work for a church and people in the office started talking about Enneagrams. And I'm like, Enneagrams, what is that? And they're like, oh, you got to take it. And then one person was like, oh, he's a seven. And I'm like, hey, don't tell me what I am. So I took the test the first time and my supervisor at the time, we were polar opposites, but we worked so well together. Uh, we were sitting across from each other and I said, Oh, I took the test. I said, I'm a three. Well, he pokes his head around his monitor. He was like me too. And I'm like, no, now let me take this again. So I took it and I was a seven and everybody in the room's like, duh. Like we knew you were a seven. <laughs> um, Keanu, I know you've had other instances like that where people have, uh, tested a certain way and they're like, uh, can't be me. You shed some light on that. Yeah, that, that is common. I think really figuring out what, what speaks to us at our core. We know ourselves, but we don't know ourselves quite as well as we think we do. And I used to kind of dance around that when people would take the assessment like, hey, it's okay that you scored this way. You just don't really know yourself as well as you think you do. You know, feeling like I had to kind of be gentle in my approach. But now I'm realizing more and more that like, that's okay. That That's all right. The questions on the assessment, they're geared in a way um, to challenge the way we see ourselves. And then when you dig into the results, that's when you really get to find your dominant Enneagram type and spending some time with you, Evan, definitely uh, an, a, an example of a seven did. I'm curious though, because there are people out there that have been classified with the Enneagram and people told them you're a this or you're a that. And typically that frustrates people or makes them not even want to deal with the Enneagram at all. Was that your experience when people were trying to call you a seven? <clears throat> It wasn't so much me. Now I had a friend of mine who's a really, I mean, really close and he worked in the same, um, the same campus, same office. And they're like, Oh, you've got to take it. You're probably an eight. And like, he was just like, no, don't tell me what I am. <laughs> and so they had a home group where they dug into the Enneagram of how it could help with your marriage and your friends and community. And he really dove into it and it actually helped their marriage to understand each other. And so he is an eight through and through. I read up on like <laughs> what eights are and I'm like, this is definitely him. <laughs> yeah. That's the same thing. I, I was reading a, a row back to you with Ian Morgan uh, by Ian Morgan Cron. And that was one of the things that he warns everyone is don't type, or give someone their type before is it really only causes more and more resistance. So uh, I'm glad you fought through it and took it anyway, because man, it's been such a blessing in my life. And it seems like it has been so far with yours, but um, so how have you used it or how, how do you plan to intend to use it from here? Yeah. So we use in our company, we use a, um, we use a different personality test and I've, I've, I feel like I've used them all and 
with the Enneagram, it's so, it can get so deep. Um, so I'm looking to incorporate it into our company so we can be better leaders. We had, uh, we have a new associate. She's been with us for like a month <clears throat> and y'all might need to correct me on this. She took the Enneagram yesterday and sent her results to my wife cause they work together and she was a four. Is that a perfectionist? Individualist. Individualist. Perfectionist would be a type one. Okay. I can't remember what number it was, but it nailed her. And like, she sent a screenshot and sent it to my wife and said, uh, like, this is ridiculous because it was exactly <laughs> her. <laughs> so I think it opens a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. And, you know, just going through the stuff that you guys do with the Enneagram, it was very just eye opening. It was it was amazing. And it, and it just it, sometimes it just what it, it almost warps your mind to think. Now, all that makes sense, like you start to piece together the interactions that you've had and you start to think about what's worked well and what hasn't. And it's just all laid out. I'm like, this is why now I know how to avoid and where to navigate. Yeah. And I think as leaders, we have to a know our people, but we got to, we, we need to know how they need to be led. So the person that works our front desk in our company, she is, you know, the personality test we use in our company. She's like the opposite of me. So I love change. I love interacting with people. I love, you know, spontaneous things. Well, she's a processor. So if I went up to the front and said, Hey, let's just move this retail over here. I'll move that retail over here to me. I'm like, ah, no big deal. Let's do it. But to her, she's got to process it. So any change we make in our company, I bring it to her and I'm like, Hey, figure out the pros, the cons, like what's going to make this win. And so now when we roll things out, now she's processed it. And so, you know, just that, that's a weakness in my leadership. Like I thought, I thought loving change would be great for leadership and it is mm, yeah. but for some, for when you, when you have a team you're leading, it's not so much because I won't change all the time and it can right. stress the team out. Right. Mm. Well, it's great. And it's great for you and your leadership. And that's what I find more and more is that great leaders, strong leaders, driven leaders, they'll typically think this is what success looks like because I've proven the model. And then now let me go and apply that to every person that I lead. And every person operates differently. They're led different. And when we can meet them where they're at, uh, your front desk person or your associate, the four, whatever it may be, you can meet them in the way they think and the way that they lead, then you can really get the best out of them. But again, we believe in the way that we do things. So of course, it's not coming from a place of wanting to be destructive. We want to help people. Hey, this worked for me. It might work for you. And uh, when we are able to understand how people lead differently, it really does help to really move an organization forward so much, so much more as a whole. Yeah. And I'm more laser focused in on that because I'm 37 years old and we're hiring um, 18 well, that's the youngest in our company. She just turned 18. So like, there's a generational gap in there too, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm like trying to find out how, how can I relate to our team? How can I serve our team? And how can I pull out the potential in them to make them a better person? And yeah. the Enneagram is, you know, plays a huge part in that, you know, because yeah. I don't think a lot of people know, um, you, their strengths and weaknesses and who they are and things like that. And I think once you kind of focus, because I know, I know organization is not my strength. Mm -hmm. It is now, 
but it wasn't before, but I had to get very disciplined. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen for me because I got to be organized <laughs> and have it. So, you know, yeah. I think we can, we can grow through things that might be our weakness in the past, but now with discipline, it can become a strength. How do you, as a leader, leverage that understanding when you understand your weaknesses or your growth opportunities, how do you leverage that understanding to grow as a whole? Oh man, it's a great question. How do I leverage that? I mean, it's, it, it, it goes back to discipline. You know, I have to with, and I don't know if this is going to answer your question truly, but like I lay out my whole week. I lay out my family time. My family time is from four to seven. And that's the time that we spend with our family. And then every morning, like I need to exercise. You know, the reason I don't exercise because it's not on my calendar. So this morning it got changed because my, my son was sick, but I put, um, we have a cycling bike downstairs. I put cycling on there for 30 minutes. And so I have to go through and be disciplined. I spend three to four hours in the salon each day. And I, that's from one to three, one to four that I spend in our salon company. Cause I believe as leaders, we have to be available, visible, and valuable. So I can be valuable and I can be available. They can call me, but I gotta be, I gotta be visible. Mm-hmm. So it's just things like that, that it, I look at where I want to be a year, two, three, four, five years. And the things that I'm doing now, the disciplines I have now are going to be that person that I'm going to be in five years. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if that answered your question, but I mean, discipline with my, my schedule, my, my boundaries, my guidelines and communication with my spouse, you know, just, Hey, what are some things that I do? It frustrate you. One of them is when I take a phone call. Right you know, at dinner or right after dinner during bath time with a salon owner or whoever, um, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's a guideline. That's a boundary. It's something I need to protect because my marriage is number one. Yes. You, you, you definitely answered the question and you alluded to it earlier. What I was really getting at, uh, you had mentioned the front desk person, you might want to approach something in this way and that's okay, but you've learned how to leverage her strengths to make up for some of your weaknesses or some of your shortcomings. And so for me, I know, given the Enneagram, there were a lot of assessments that I had taken before that didn't speak to me at this level. So I know now where I need support and then I take intentional action to surround myself with people that are gifted in those areas. Because leaders, we attract who we are, not what we want. So I am naturally going to attract, and you as well, Evan, very naturally driven, aggressive, intense leaders and followers or employees or workers. And if we go too far in that direction without being intentional to mitigate for some of our weaknesses, then we end up creating this culture that's really, it has a lot of big blind spots or gaps. And so that's what I like about leveraging the Enneagram with teams is one, if you already have a team then we can shed some light on why your team operates the way it does. Or two, if you're looking to build a team, then we can be very intentional in using it and leveraging that understanding. Yes. I think uh, Andy Stanley said, there's a myth that leaders need to be well-rounded. You don't need to be well-rounded. You need to focus on your strengths and bring people in that uh, help your weaknesses. My wife and I are a perfect example we're polar opposites, you know, like she's more the numbers 
the uh, she loves doing bookkeeping. She loves pulling reports and looking at where we were last year to this year. Isn't that and, like kind of like freak you out? Like how someone could enjoy that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'd rather throw myself through a window and have to deal with a spreadsheet. Me. I love going in, high-fiving people, talking about the guest experience. How can we change things and how can we simplify things to serve our guests, to serve our staff? I love leading meetings. I love getting in front of people and talking. And to her, she's more of an introvert. I'm yeah. more of an extrovert. And so that stuff can drain her, mm-hmm. vice versa. Getting behind a computer, looking at a spreadsheet can drain me as well. Yeah. What's your wife's Enneagram type? She is a six. She's through a six. And through. Yes. <laughs> my and wife is a great. <laughs> Go ahead, Lamar. No, I was saying my wife is a six as well. So it's it's interesting. Like as you were describing that, I see a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And it helps because there's such a great balance there. In leadership, there is there's definitely pride that exists in all of us, especially strong dr- driven leaders, where if someone has strengths that aren't natural to us. That's where that, that liar, that fallacy will start to creep in that, oh, I have to be well-rounded. I should be better at everything than everyone. And that's just not true. That starts to create uh, tension or dissension in, in your ranks or in your business because you're trying to be better than that person. And that person's naturally gifted at it instead of just letting right. them show their value. And then people will walk away because you were trying to be them. And all the while, you're robbing them of the value they add to the company instead of just running in your lane. Right. We have someone in our company who leads our whole associate program. So we bring in five stylists straight out of school and we put them with five educators and we train them and teach them and mentor and coach them through six months. Well, my wife was doing it, but she didn't really have the margin to do it. And then someone in our company is super passionate about education. And her dream job was to work at a school teaching cosmetology. And we're like, whoa why don't you do that in our company? And she was like, mm-hmm. is that, is that a thing? And we're like, <laughs> we can make it a thing. And so we did. And now she's in her sweet spot, just super passionate. Just, I mean, she's literally killing it. It's, it's amazing. Well, we've Stop. gotten pretty far out ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit and let's tell us your story, how you ended up starting Silver Salon, how you ended up here and the journey uh, that led you here to being a business owner and entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So my wife and I were married in 2009 and 2012. Um, We started the salon. I say we, it was more her. I was traveling in a band from, I played in the band for seven years. I came off the road in 2012, but I was literally on the road about to have four days off in Vegas with a bunch of band guys. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. And my wife says, Oh, that's our grand opening. I'm actually buying you a plane ticket right now to fly you home, which was probably the best thing. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we started so in two, yeah, we started in th- 2012. It was just my wife, and I wasn't all that involved in the salon. And I started working at a church, and while I was working at the church, I learned a lot about leadership and culture. I mean, it was I was like a sponge had a mentor. Well, I had a supervisor at the time. I didn't know he's a mentor. He's still a mentor to this day. And he sat me down. He said, Evan, you've got great potential to be, uh, you've got potential to be a great leader one day. You just need confidence. And I looked at him and in my head, I was like, 
uh, what's he talking about? Like, <laughs> what what is a leader? Are you talking about like I can be like in management here? Like, I didn't know. I had no clue what it was. And so he just started handing me stuff and little things. And I started to, you know, like, hey, go down to this campus, take this person out to lunch. So I would do that, come back. And uh, slowly but surely, before I knew it, I was taking over the lower part of the state because we had 14 campuses. And I was like, oh, shoot, like this is I'm doing this, you know, <laughs> and he he's a phenomenal leader. So while I knew a lot about leadership and culture in 2018, I think it was 2018. Yes. 2020 like flew by so quick. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> should we even count that? Right. Uh, 2018, I stepped off staff at the church because I felt like God was well, I know God was saying you need to step into the salon. And I'm like, uh, I don't know anything about the salon industry. I don't do hair. Uh, but I came on cause my wife, she said, I, I basically in a roundabout way, I've hit my lid in leadership. I can't grow the company anymore. Being behind the chair, doing the bookkeeping, doing the inventory, doing the training on and on and on. So I came on and took over the leadership, the culture, the meetings, the hiring, the recruiting, uh, what else do I do? Um, yeah, so I took over a lot of that and yeah, it's been great. I've, I've soaked up the salon industry, which is kind of funny. You know, my friends from 10 years ago, they're like, what you're in a salon, like, or do you do hair? I'm like, no, you just don't walk into a salon and do hair. You have to go to school and all that stuff. So I don't do hair, but I do, um, coach salons and try to you know, I'd coach businesses on leadership and culture. And it's, it's one, it's my favorite thing to do to find the potential in someone that they don't even see and to pull that out of them. And now we're a staff of 20, 21, I believe. And I think I want to say two years ago, maybe three years ago, we had seven people. So we've grown wow. a lot. Um, so what were some of the, what were some of the chat? What are the challenges you, you mentioned staff of 20 and I instantly jumped on that. Like, what are the challenges that, that, that come across, that come across of managing so many people? Uh, a, a lot. So <laughs> we found out the hard way, our onboarding has to get better, has to get our orientation. We didn't have orientation three years ago. Now we spend about a half a day on orientation. We want them to soak in our culture. Our interview process got way more streamlined. So it's a seven step process. So that got more streamlined. Um, our training. So we've just recently went to an online training where they do, when they come on our staff, doesn't matter what position they're in, they learn the front desk. They have five days of training for the front desk. And then they have, they go into our associate program if they're going into to be a stylist. And so this all streamlined, all online, it's all laid out. The educator can release material. It's like an online course, really. You know, if you it's like think of it, but ours is on Mighty Networks. And so we just got to streamline things because yeah. we were, we'd have this person over here training someone completely different than this person over here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody needs to be trained the exact same way. So just getting our systems processes. I'm really passionate. I'm not really passionate about, I'm really passionate about systems and processes when they serve the people. I think a mm. lot of people see systems and processes of like, ah, oh, I'm just a number and I'm just right. another person. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> if you were here like three years ago, it would have been <laughs> crazy. Um, so yeah, there has been a lot of challenges growing that quick. 
Um, you're going to hire some of the wrong people. Um, some people are going to, because I've heard this, I don't know if this is a fact, but when you hire 10% more of your staff that you currently have, your culture shifts if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So we got to make sure that we have the right people. Um, I just, I got a quote from uh, someone today that said, you don't hire skill, you hire the heart. Mm. People that have the heart for your company and the passion. I was like, dang, that was really good. So yeah, we've had tons of challenges. We're still working through them as we grow. Uh, We just want to make it a seamless process for us and for our staff onboarding. Because when it gets, if it gets chaotic, People are just like this. These people don't have it together. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, we we call that hire who, not what. Yeah, and I it's love it. it's it's so impactful, and it's such a great tool. At the same time, when you hire who, not what, you have to be very intentional about letting them know that it's who they are that matters more than what they do. Because we, as humans, we all, regardless of our enneagram type, we're going to try and find our validation in what we do instead of who we are. So I've. Um, Notice that just in, in coaching different businesses that they'll, they'll, they'll finally start, okay, we're hiring who we're, we're not hiring what. And then the person that they hired will start to feel like they have to overcompensate because they don't feel like they're enough or they don't feel like they're doing enough or what have you. And uh, I'm very intentional in coaching those leaders and saying, lean back into why you hired them because it's very hard for people to really realize that they are enough. And we, of course, as Christians, we know that we are enough, not because of what we did, but because who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still, we still need that constant reminder that, hey, we are, we are enough. We, we do have enough and who we are is more important than what we do. And then on the point of systems and people uh, coming from Elevation Church, another very large church, you have to have systems in place. It's just too big. It's, 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 it's doing too much to not have great systems. And the constant tension is, are the systems serving the people? Or are the people existing to serve the systems? And, yes. and we have to constantly have the checks and balances to say, all right, we're serving this system now. This system's become God. And that's not that's not the way it's supposed to be. These systems should exist to serve people always. I love that. And going back to the interview, hiring who, we never, ever once in an interview talk about their cut, their color, now I might ask, what does a guest, if they sat in your chair and said, I want to do X today, what, what, what you, where do you light up if that, whatever they say, is it blonding? Is it, you know, vivid colors, but we never ask. And people are just like, it's so weird to go to an interview and then never ask because the typical salon is going to ask, they're going to say, Hey, here's a model, you know, here's a mannequin cut hair, do color. How do you foil? Blah, blah, blah. You're zoning out. Cause you're like, what is he even talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but seriously, like we never ask any of that. Cause I don't care. We can teach you that. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's big. That's, that's a lot of people needed to hear that for sure. Um, where I, I really want to get into this part. Uh, so I'm going to skip down a little bit, but so you are in business with your wife. Uh, what advice would you give to others, other power couples out there in business together? Um, what have you guys had to work through? How have you overcome it? Like, let, let's unpack that. Yes. Yeah, so I'll be honest, my wife and I, we have a great relationship. When I came on, <clears throat> I was just like, I wonder if we're going to be able to work together because <laughs> my, <laughs> my wife is very driven. So yeah. like when she, when she goes into the salon, like she is focused, she is focused on 
you know, making money, making the great experience, like hitting her goals. Like she's very goal driven. And so I was, there would be times where I just like get out of the way. And then I would frustrate her because now I'm like, I'm 30,000 foot view of like, Hey, what if we did this and this? And she's like tugging on me like, Hey, our cash flow this month is a little slow. So I would frustrate her and I, she would frustrate me. But what we did is we got, we, we found out which lane we're in. So what are you responsible for? What am I responsible for? And as long as we stayed in each other's lane, we were great. And we have like a, a working relationship at work. You know, it's, it's, we're in the, we only have 1,280 square feet in our building, but there'll be times where we wouldn't really see each other. So we made sure that we stayed in each other's lane. If we ever swerved in each other's lane, we usually knew it <laughs> because for instance, she's over um, the person cleaning our salon. So I had a stylist say, hey, can I do someone's hair on Monday when we're closed? And I said, sure. And so what happened was the person is supposed to come clean the style. So I swung in her lane. I should have said, hey, talk to my wife, <laughs> you know, but my wife is I mean, she's she's a freaking uh, she's incredible. The fact that she how she runs a salon out of integrity and how she educates people. We did, we do superlatives every year in our company and at our Christmas party and she won the leadership award. And I, I like, I'd like got choked up. Cause I'm just like, she doesn't, I'm not choking up now. Uh, she doesn't give herself enough credit as a leader. And I'm like, babe, people voted you the, le the, the leadership award, you know? And so, uh, you know, just working with my wife is the greatest thing because we can say, Hey, we're going to leave it for, and that's our family time. But, you know, advice to people who are working with their spouse, find your lane and stay in it. <laughs> it's been the best <laughs> thing for, it's the best thing for us, our marriage and our staff, because our yeah. staff knows who to go to. And it's not like mom, dad, well, mom said no, let's go to dad and see if he'll say yes. Yeah. No, that's so good. And I think, I mean, that's practical for uh, whether you're in business with your spouse or, 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 or just a partner or a friend, whatever it is, a leadership team, we all have our own separate lanes and we start swerving into each other. So that's what communication gets dropped. It's like, who owns what? Um, and so it's really, I, I love how just between you and your wife, you guys have defined that. Um, other things that I've heard too from other couples um, is that they have a hard time finding the separation at home. I'm not in business with my wife. So I don't even know if that's even possible um, to even do something like that. Is that something you always have to live with? Or is that something that you and your wife have even had to deal with? Yeah. Like bringing it home, bringing like, home. like, like not being able to shut off business when you come home. <clears throat> yeah. You, you don't shut it off. Um, you know, people tell you, you can do it. I think, I, I think men are better at this with car compartmentalizing things. Mm -hmm. So I can just take things and be like, okay, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Maybe it's my calendar that helps. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I had to have two, uh, they weren't super tough, but two tough conversations yesterday. So I was just like, Hey, let's just have these conversations. So at night we don't have to worry about talking about them tomorrow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can compartmentalize pretty well. I think we just, again, it's communication. So I might say, Hey, I have to do X tonight. Um, you know, it's going to take about 30 minutes. I'll do it after the kids go to bed just so she's like, okay, 
well, there's always something that she can work on, you know, like <laughs> literally, I don't know if y'all do this. Maybe you're a lot more streamlined than I am, but I had a podcast about 98% done. Um, and I released them on Tuesdays. Well, Monday evening, I'm like, oh gosh, I got a podcast going out tomorrow. And so I had to like run upstairs. <laughs> so I told her, I was like, hey, I got to edit this video really quick. I think it's pretty much done. And it was, I just needed to post it. But um, yeah, just communication. You're, you're not going to be able to turn it off. It, people will tell you that they can. Maybe some people can, but you're always thinking. I think there's times where she'll talk about work and i'm like hey babe like i'm not gonna get a headspace to talk about this she's like okay mm. and then vice versa so and you'll know your spouse as well you guys know this if there's a big idea i have well i'm gonna make sure that she's in the right headspace and know that she's in a healthy spot if she's been she's an extrovert or an introvert and if she's had a big day where she's having to talk and perform behind the chair basically act um, she can be drained when she comes home. So that's not the time to be like, Hey, what if we did X? She's going to be like, are you freaking serious? But sometimes yeah. you'll do that. She'll be like, I don't care. Just do it. I'm like, Oh, let's do it. <laughs> Keanu, Keanu, I would love to get your perspective. Cause I'm seeing a lot of the six, the six, seven going back and forth. So I'd love to see you dissect that. Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm curious if she's a six, then not only is it going to be overwhelming, but also then the, uh, hitting her in that lane if she was having a long day and then you hit her with this idea sixes are naturally inclined towards worst case scenarios anyway worst case scenario thinking because they're they're um what they pursue or their desire is support security and guidance and so if they don't feel the support the security and the guidance in the plan they're going to be even more inclined towards uh, the worst case scenarios and how bad it can be when you're super excited saying like, but this is how great it's going to be. Right. She's going to naturally, it's going to fall on her ears and it's going to, she's going to um, perceive that as, all right, this is not going to go well. So even mm -hmm. more so doing things like that to say, Hey, I'll wait. So this can fall on uh, more fertile ground is, is extremely wise. But again, especially because we know with all of our Enneagram types, we interpret things or we hear things very differently. And so what sounds like excitement and fun to you would be, you know, could be draining or frustrating or cause fear in her. Have you seen that dynamic between the two of you, given being a seven and a six? Oh, yes. Um, I'll have this idea. Um, and she knows she's worst, worst case scenario thinker. Like she she's very aware of it. So there'll be sometimes where we'll talk about some she's in, in salon world, you have these things called walkouts and they, they happen more than they should, but there'll be, you know, three, eight, 10 stylists just walk out one day. say we're done. We're going to go start our own salon. It's very common. It's very heartbreaking. Um, you know, she'll think like, well, what if we have a walkout? Cause if we had a walkout, that's a lot of money going out the door, you know? And I'm like, babe, you can't, you, how did that even cross your mind? Like you can't think that way. And so we really balance each other out and it's, I've, I can't remember which company it was, but it was a very large company and the owners were, uh, one was a six and one was a seven. And the six said, if it wasn't for the seven, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. And the seven said, if it wasn't for the six, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. And so I think that, you know, we, we kind of, you know, I can be way up here and she can be mm -hmm. down here and vice versa. And we level each other out because she's very practical. Like we are operating our company with zero debt 
and we've been doing that since 2014. So like she knows and like she's prepared. Um, and so I'm super thankful. Um, it's just like in, in a marriage, you have a spender and you have a saver typically, you know, <laughs> she's the right. saver. I'm super thankful for that. And I'm the spender. <laughs> and she tells me, she's like, you know what? I'm really thankful that, that you are who you are because she was like, if it was up to me, we would never have any money I was like, or we wouldn't have any fun. I said, yeah, we have a lot of money. She's like, yeah, but you, we balance each other out, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Keanu, I definitely see that. Uh, it's, it's funny how it, it just comes up all the time with us, her being a six and me being a seven. Yeah. Practical handle uh, for your wife there. When responding to an idea or, um, a concept or a plan it's yes and let's consider this rather than okay okay but because a seven avoids being trapped or being limited and so that's going to feel limiting to to you and it, it could really stifle your creativity or even cause frustration but when a person says yes and let's consider this and even me as an eight with a very strong seven wing lamar's learned this as well in approaching me if i have an idea i come into our meetings and i'm like all right this is where you know we're going to storm the gates of hell this is what it's going to look like like let's go in the beginning he'd be like okay but and it would really it really cause frustration in me and then i'd get defensive and then we'd have to you know we'd work through that but again we we understand where each other are coming from. So that's helped to accelerate our relationship and accelerate our results. But now he'll, he'll, he, he naturally do it. Lamar, I don't even know if you catch it anymore. You'll say yes. And let's also consider this and this because Lamar's a one. So he wants to do those things. He's very driven in the same way, but he wants to do them right. He wants to make sure there's order to it. And even now more so I'll just say, this is where I want to go. You figure out how to get us there. I totally trust you. Uh, I know you see the vision. I know you see why we're doing it. If I visioneer it, then Lamar can come behind and, and get us there in the proper way. So just that one little thing. Yes. And it, it's so practical it's, for sevens. And it's eights. such a game changer because we have two, I can't believe I'm about to put this in into existence into the public world, but we have two IMAX at our salon. They're so slow, like so slow. And so um, um, if Tim Cook, if you're listening to this, um, just DM me. Uh, on Instagram, but they're so slow. And so I was just like, we got to get new computers. Well, my wife says, yes, let's get new computers. Can we sell the one? Can we sell the ones we have? And so I did my research. I was like, yes, we can almost get, you know, we went PC. Oh, that hurt. God, it hurt. But it's a touchscreen. I'm telling you, touchscreen. Come on, Tim. So, you know, how it's so true, Keanu. Like, if, if they, if, if she, she shuts me down, like, she's, you know, she's in the right a lot of times, you know? Like, hey, we probably don't need to do that. I can get, I feel shut down. And then she's like, did you get shut down? <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> she's like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. So it's, it's funny. Like, the Enneagram definitely, just what we know on the surface level has improved our marriage. Wow. Yeah, that's well, awesome. I love that it's been super practical for you like that. Um, one thing that I've learned in living with my wife, who's a nine, and me being an eight, I thrive in conflict, and she absolutely avoids it, absolutely terrified of any semblance of tension or conflict. And we've gotten much better now. Actually, I would say she's a bit more aggressive now because she's a nine-wing eight, so she definitely has that side. Um, but 
we tend to associate, and especially in a marriage or a business partnership or on a team, if somebody touches on that nerve or they exemplify what we try to avoid or what we're afraid of, then we tend to associate them with that bad feeling. And it starts to cause little by little separation. And then that's where mm -hmm. we see a lot of tension in teams or attrition or, you know, a high, high churn rate in a business because we don't now see, let's say, Evan, you said something to me and it really poked at my um, fear of being weak or powerless or vulnerable or what have you, right? Now I'm associating Evan with that negative feeling. And, and that's not true. That's not what you meant, but I'm perceiving it like that. So the more that we can leverage the Enneagram, that's just one practical way that we can use it to get ahead of those things and say, hey, it's not Evan that I'm moving away from. I'm moving away from the way he made me feel. And here's why. Now I can go back to Evan and say, hey, we're partners. We're, we're on the same team. This is why what you said impacted me. And you're like, whoa, man, I didn't even mean it like that. Thank right. you for sharing that. And again, accelerate relationships and accelerate results. But it is so fun just to give some meaning and some framework to all of the things that are happening naturally, especially in leadership. Leadership is people, business is people. When we can put a framework to all of this, it's just so nice to start start to see teams really get to humming together and, and crushing their goals. Yeah, it's amazing what communication can do. <laughs> no Let's, doubt. Um, you're a type seven. Type seven, for those of you that are uh, listening that don't know what a type seven is, very energetic, uh, spontaneous, optimistic, always seeing the silver lining, always going and getting it. I feel like sevens are the most natural entrepreneurs. It's like seven, eights, and then everyone else. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for sure, seven. So I know something has to be going on over there. What are you working on right now? What's next for you? What are you building? Yeah. So, man, I've kind of lived my life with, I always want to be answering the questions that people are asking. And I actually learned that from when I was working at the church of, we, we did a series called you asked for it. And we a answered questions that people were sending in. And the crazy thing was, I was just like, we haven't even been hitting on any of these, you know? Mm. And I'm like, what, and what business, like in business world marketplace, there's so many businesses that are, think they're answering the questions people are asking and they're not. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I'm asking people, you know, so what, what, what are some of the things you're struggling with? And you know, a lot of it is leadership or they have someone on their team that needs leadership development. Where did they go guys? You're going to get like a $8,000 course to go through with, you know, go to a conference, you know? So I'm trying to think of what are some things I'm actually working editing right now. I don't know when this is going to be released, but I'm editing a video on how to win at tough conversations because I had so many people ask, how do I have a conversation with this person? And it's very, mm. it's very simple. It's very common, like common sense, but we all get in our head. We try to, to work through of like, what are they going to say? And then how am I going to react? And that's the <laughs> wrong thing. You can't do that because once they, receive it differently than mm -hmm. what you thought. Now you're done because All you don't right. know your next step. Yeah. So, uh, I've, I've working on that workshop right now, online course that, uh, people will be able to, to go to my website and purchase that. So just, uh, working on leadership culture, building a team, uh, have a podcast, uh, around it and basically just taking the podcast and making it more virtual 
and more um, laser focused. Because if I said I'm doing a, a, a course on leadership, well, it would be the longest course of all time because that's such a huge, <laughs> that's such a huge umbrella. And yeah. so I'm going to break it down where people can say, yes, let me, let me find out how to get more equity with my team. Let me, let me see about this course. I'm working on one on communication, how to communicate with your team. That will be released this summer. But we were, we, we communicate in our company uh, twice daily in two shift meetings. And we communicate a weekly video that we send out every week. And then we meet monthly in person as a team. And then we do one-on-ones in person. And you're probably listening right now going, oh my gosh, that's a lot of communications. I had one salon owner say, I would quit your company if I had that communication. Well, I broke it down of what, it's not the same communication in all of it. And then once I broke it down, the staff was like, yeah, I think we should do that. And I'm like, ah, gotcha. Uh, so, you know, I'm very passionate you, about communication. Because the teams that I've experienced that don't have, you know, set and structured meetings is that now you get the text messages all throughout the day. You get the distractions. You get the, well, what about this? And then, like, there's never that moment where, like, oh, I know that he, even though I got a question right now, I know that I'm going to be able to at least address it at this time. And it can wait until then. So right. you really cut out a lot of the things that are urgent yet, like not super important at this time. Or Lamar, you know, you're working with someone and then somebody, a coworker comes and tells you something and you're like, wait, how did you know that? So, oh, I talked to such and such. And now it's just, now you're going to, what Andy feel Stanley says, out, yeah. you're going to fill that gap with, um, what's the saying? You're going to fill it with suspicion mm. or trust. And a lot of times you're going to fill it with suspicion. Why do they know before me? So I, my wife and I have a notes app on our phone. And throughout the week, if like, for instance, if, if stations are not getting cleaned at the end of the week. So on Saturday, whoever works your last shift, you clean your station. And so if they don't clean their stations, I just jot it down on that notes. In our weekly team meeting, I'm like, hey, just a reminder, let's, you know, clean stations at the end of the week. So it's not like everybody get together in person and talk because when they're in person, that's where I want to do. This is where we're moving forward. This is our vision. This is why we exist. This is motivational, inspirational. I don't want to hit, hey, you need to clean your bowls after you use them with color in it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't want to waste your time. I, we can do that through uh, through a video that I record. Right. Well, and I want to speak to leaders that are listening right now. That's a great indicator that you're not providing enough clarity or you're not providing enough development for your team. If they're constantly coming to you or they're constantly asking questions, I know as a leader that can get frustrating, but you have to take a look inward and say, okay, how am I responsible for that? Because that's what I tell, you know, my team is that, Hey, if, if there's clarity that needs to be had, that's on me. I need to work to provide more clarity. And then there's a certain point where we want people to be proactive and start taking action on it. And some people need more clarity than others. Type six is definitely being one of those types. Uh, type one's definitely, type five's definitely being those types. Others will just more naturally spring into action and just say, all right, I, I know the directive, I'll go and make it happen. But as leaders, if you're constantly being asked, if you're constantly being bothered with these things, then you are not providing enough clarity. You're not providing the development to support them in doing what needs to be done. So yeah, like Lamar, you were saying, if, if, if uh, some people, they don't, they don't want to meet, well, you end up losing so much more time because we could have just settled all of this in one meeting. Now it's the back and forth and the constant 
you know, so you can't go wrong with, with over communicating. I don't think there is such thing as over communication period. And uh, Evan, I like the culture that you've created there because some people might say I would quit if um, I had to have that many meetings or this and that. Exactly. You'd Bye. Be like, but you'd probably be fired because you don't fit, you don't fit here and that's okay. This is our culture. Our, our culture is strong in communication. We're very driven towards a goal. That's who we want. If that doesn't work for you, that's fine. It's not a knock against you. We'll find a place for you to fit in just fine. Yeah. And a, a friend of mine told me this. We don't get to decide if we're good communicators. Others do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, once I heard that, I was like, oh, man. Because sometimes we think, oh, yeah, we're, we're great communicators. It's like, well, go ask your team. Ask them the hard question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's something I need to know that I don't? Or tell me something I don't want to hear, but I need to. Mm. And you start asking questions like that, you'll get true, honest feedback. But you can't defend yourself when they give you those feedback. Well, I did that because, no, you just say thank you and get better. Yes. Yes, take it. And you have to put yourself as a leader Again, the leader is the tip of the spear. They're supposed to get the dirtiest, the bloodiest, and take the most of the damage. You have to understand that that's okay. And, and to know that, hey, I'm going to put myself in a place to probably get wrecked right now. But mm-hmm. I prayed on it this morning. I'm prepared. I had a hearty breakfast. <laughs> I know it's going to hurt, but it's, it's necessary. I was talking to a leader yesterday, and I told them, you can be right or you can be effective. Because this leader, one thing that they were processing was, well, I, I want to, they just won't see it the way I, I want them to see it. And furthermore, this wasn't a leader and a subordinate. This was more of a partnership. So that's going to get really ugly, really fast. Mm-hmm. And so that person was saying, they just won't listen. Well, let them lead them to where you're trying to get them to go. So if I had something for Lamar to do, and I'm just like a club to the head, hey, this is what needs to be done. And it's in direct opposition to the way he's been doing it. There's going to be a whole lot of tension there. Rather, I could ask him questions and let him arrive at the solution by himself. That's effective. I may not be right, and I might not get the credit for it, but we're going to be effective. You can be right or you can be effective, but you can't be both. And Lamar is a one. I want to know what that means to you, Lamar. That probably like made you, well, I don't know. What, how does that fall on you, right or effective, not both? Because ones want to be right. They want to do the right thing. What are you hearing there? Um, I mean, right and effective, to me, they – are almost unified. <laughs> so it's hard for me to, to it's, a, it's a growth opportunity for me. It's something to, to split apart because you can always uh, be caught up in thinking that like, this is my mindset. This is, I've thought through it. I've thought through what's the best way to go about it. So of course it's effective, um, but people get things done in way opposite of the way that I would get them done and still get the same results. So one statement, um, our development pastor that helped to found Elevation Church, extremely wise man. He was like, my own Simon Sinek, extremely wise. Um, he since left the church and he's doing some coaching with businesses and things like that, I believe. But he said the statement that pulled him through and understanding, and it stuck with me today, generous with the credit, selfish with the blame, and confident that it's not about me. Ooh. So as a leader, generous with the credit, selfish with the blame, and confident that it's not about me. And that statement it just transformed my life. I mean, really, it was like, well, if I even just say that, right? Even if you leaders that are out there and, and, you know, carrying the torch for your team and doing what you can, if you just sat down at the end of the day and told yourself that, how much peace would that just give you to, Man, and then to internalize it and believe it, right? We put so much pressure on ourselves and rightfully so, but 
way more than I think we need to carry. That's strong. I love that. Um, Evan, uh, Keanu gave you the book, Rhino Rhinoceros Success, right? Yes. I love it. Tell us about your experience going through that. This is well, first, the best way to close ever. I'm so excited about this. I've just been waiting. Evan, I put a rhino emoji on almost every text <laughs> message I send. Trust me, I'm so stoked about this. Tell us about your experience, you rhinoceros. Yo, you. Well, before I get to that, I got to thank you for sending me that. I, I'm a gifts person. That's my love language. And I've gotten that from you, which was a couple of weeks ago. I got a picture in the mail yesterday from a salon um, that I coach that is a picture of Tiger Woods. And long story short, have you guys watched the Tiger Woods documentary? I'm going to get to No, is it good? Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. Uh, But I know if you're listening to this right now, you you can't see this. But actually, I have it right beside me. But it's a picture of Tiger Woods holding his arms up at um, the Masters, the latest one. Well, I used to, I, I, I used to, I couldn't stand Tiger Woods. He was just cocky, arrogant. And so now I'm a huge fan of him because he's went through redemption. Now he's smiling for the press. You see him being human. And in this documentary, I don't know the exact quote. I need to go back and get it. But the guy said, people need to start seeing people where they could be and not where they are. Mm. And I like, my heart broke. Mm. So that picture right there is a reminder of me to see everyone or where they could be and not mm-hmm. where they are. And I, every time I talk about it, I get chills because I'm like, wow. Right. So I told the, the, the salon owners about this, and they sent me this freaking picture. And I like got teared up um, opening it up. And I was just like, God. So first off, thank you, Keanu, for doing that. That's very, very generous to send me the book. And I read it in a day. Um, and it, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I think about it all the time. So what is, what does it mean to be a rhino in the shortest way is just attack the day attack opportunities. Cause there's so many times where I love the biggest thing I got out of it was that Cal see opportunities go by and they, you know, they're slow moving. And now <laughs> this might be really bad, but I'll go somewhere where there's not a great guest experience or, you know, the person at the, the grocery store is scanning the stuff. Cause when I worked at a grocery store, I was scanning things quick, like beep, 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 beep. And it's like, bleep, bleep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got a cow scanning my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't tell them that. <laughs> right. I think right. About it in the nicest way, but I'm like, give me a rhino to scan these groceries. So I consider myself a rhino. So I just go through self-checkout and do it myself. Yes, yes. <laughs> it definitely is a change in mindset. Um, you know, I had, we had some friends visit us this last weekend and I've been told, and uh, I think this is just an eight thing and probably just a very driven thing. And also being, you know, six foot 245. But my wife tells me like, you do everything louder than the average person. And it was funny. I was coaching a couple. The husband was an eight. The wife was a nine. And the wife said, they're just little pet peeves. Like you do everything louder than the average person. And she was like, you could be turning on coffee. And it sounds like you're punching a wall. I I don't get it. So anyways, I had some friends staying over and I wake up very, very early and I'm, you know, doing my thing in the morning and I'm trying to be quiet, Evan. And they're like, it seems like everything is so aggressive, like the way you open the door, the way you open the shower curtain. And I'm like, I can't help it. I'm like, that's what happens when you're a multi-ton rhinoceros. 
And, and my wife's, my friend's wife, she had said like, oh, okay, sure. I'm like, I'm serious. I see myself as a living, breathing, snorting rhinoceros. Like when I walk through a room, I'm cautious to not hit someone with my horn, but that's what that book does. It just really helps with the mindset and the book details it. You know, you're either going to gravitate towards being a rhino or gravitate towards being a cow. My wife being a type nine, she is not a cow. I'm not saying that y'all. And she's very petite. And, and we should just cut it right here. I, yeah, we should I'm just, out. we, should, we don't even need that. She, I'm not a part of this. She, she owns it. She's, she's read the book and she's like, I'm glad to be a cow. She's like, you can do the rhino things. She's like, cows all the way. And then for the nine, uh, their, their dominant struggle is sloth or slothfulness. So she loves it. She's like, heck yeah, sloth. And so it's, it's just interesting. And that's okay, right? We, we need all types, but you're, you're one. You're married. So you're one. Brother. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, Evan, it has been a it has been a pleasure, man. I hope uh, someday we can have you back again um, to to see what the next chapter of things that you've been creating and envisioning with you and your wife and your team and your business. Uh, but this has been a pleasure. Any any one last words you want to say to our listeners? Um, oh, you put me on the spot. I did. I got you there. Yeah, uh, man. I'm just gonna go back to that Tiger Woods picture. Like, start seeing people of where they could be and not where they are. And I say that for the, your listeners. And I say that to myself every freaking day because people do have struggles. You know, we do one-on-ones with our staff, ask where they're at one to 10. And, you know, there's times where they're five or sixes. And I'm like, that's okay. Um, I think as leaders, we've got to start leading people differently, individually. And I think that shapes the culture. You know, I say leadership is the fastest way to grow the culture you need and to build the team that you dream of. So uh, start seeing people where they're where they could be and not where they're at right now. So I, I, it's been an honor to be on this podcast, hanging out with you guys. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Evan. And tell people where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social. Yes. Yeah, so my podcast is called Touch the Line. Um, people recently are like, what does that mean? It's uh, remember when you used to do suicide drills and sports and the, the great people touched the line, the ones that didn't care. They just stooped down and just act like they touched it. So in leadership culture and building a team, you have to touch the line. You got to go all the way if you want to excel in that. And so it's called touch the line. Uh, my website's evansilver.co co. And then um, my, all my social media is evansilver.co as well. Awesome. Thank you, Evan. Spoken like a true coach. I can hear the heart and the passion of a coach. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we're developing our friendship here and I'm just excited for all the impact we'll continue to have together. Love it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you.